Hello, and welcome to The Cheerleading Junkie. I'm your host, Jill Markley. Today, we are talking to Dr. Scott Christie and Brianne Hansen. Together, these two are revolutionizing the way that coaches, gym owners, and athletes can train hard and in a safe way for the athlete's body. Personally, as a coach and a gym owner and a mom, I hate seeing all the young kids practically covered in KT tape, so I'm very excited about this product. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. In preparation for this interview, I checked out your backgrounds in cheer, and I was just like really impressed with the number of years that you guys have dedicated to the sport. Can you fill the listeners in on your background, maybe starting with you, Brianne? Sure. Um, so I've been in the cheerleading industry for 19 years. Um, I started when I was just six years old. It was, you know, something that I was doing on the lawn with my neighbor and the first gym in Ontario opened and my mom found out about it and got me started. And it's pretty much been <laughs> my life ever since <laughs> I cheered through, um, through high school out on my high school team while also doing all-star. And then I also cheered all the way through university. And then when I finished university, um, I hated my job and the job that I was in. So I luckily still had built a relationship with Scott over the years because he was actually my healthcare practitioner when I was cheering um, because of my broken down body and unfortunately not taking care of myself while I was cheering, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later when we talk about where this all kind of came from. Um, so one day I was uh, laying on Scott's table and complaining about my job. And he said, well, Brian, why don't you come work for me? And he has a clinic in a cheerleading gym. So that kind of was like my dream come true that I got to still be in the, in the industry, obviously removed, but still in the building at least. Um, and, yeah. and then that's kind of cheer district came out of that, which I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really long time, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And I, you know, love cheerleading to my absolute core. This last year of not being in competitions or in the gym because of COVID has been really hard because it's been the first year in literally 19 years that I haven't physically been a part of the sport and it's been really weird. But um, yeah, that's that's a little bit of my background. Yeah, my husband told me while we were shut down that I was weird without cheerleading. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you, Scott? Can you give uh us your background yeah so i think back it was all the way back in grade 12 which i think is like three or four years yeah, ago yeah nice try <laughs> um the the girl that i was dating at the time was in cheerleading and she kept trying to bother me to go out to cheerleading i played every other sport at the time i wasn't interested i think to put it politely uh but i i ended up going to a competition and that's pretty much what hooked me so i cheered i know they don't have grade 13 anymore but i cheered in grade 13 um, on a co-ed team and then I went to uh, after that I went to the University of Western Ontario uh, cheered there for a couple of years and then I worked for a company called Power Cheerleading Athletics um, which was David Lee Tracy he's the coach of Western so we traveled across Canada doing uh, instructing cheerleading and then during this whole period I actually continued to coach the high school team that I was from so I ended up coaching them for almost 20 years um, and then the whole strength and conditioning part came about is that I bought a fitness facility during that time period and started developing all the programs for the cheerleaders. And it was it was mandatory for them to work out outside of practice. Uh, but the caveat was that they got a free month membership. So every month was free unless they missed a workout. 
if they missed a workout, they had to pay for their month membership. Oh. So that's kind of, so they would have to get signed in when they came in uh, or sorry, when they left, because I didn't want them just signing in and taking <laughs> off. Uh, but we ended up having, I think if you were to ask a lot of the coaches across the country, we were definitely by far the strongest team um, because nobody else was doing that at the time. And then I just morphed into a sports science career where I worked with all the professional sports like hockey and uh, rowing. And at this point, I've just been trying to apply the sports science side uh, to cheerleading, which there isn't any of. And then that's how I started my clinics. And that's Brianne kind of explained how we started to get involved there. So I do have one clinic that is set up in a cheerleading facility. So I still get to be involved with the cheerleading community even on an injury standpoint but also i have a sports science lab set up in my in my clinic yeah that is really cool i know um a few weeks ago i was talking to um a guy who's trying to invent a new shoe for to reduce injury on cheerleaders and um yeah we were talking about like how runners i'm a runner too like you know when you buy shoes or something like that you go and you're you're measured and there's a whole scientific process but you're right for cheer this feels like it's something completely new, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting too. Um, and that's part of why I reached out to Brianne um, was just to kind of learn a lot more about Cheer District and how you guys kind of came together. So could you give me an overview just of what what the product we're talking about is? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Cheer District is a training app for cheerleaders. Um, it's age and level specific. So Scott has taken the time to build workouts that are not only specific to the athlete's age so that we have a better understanding of kind of what their, um, you know, abilities are, but also from a level perspective and an injury risk perspective, because Scott works in the clinics and he works with the cheerleaders and, and on their injuries, he's compiled not only data from the sport in general, but from the athletes that he works with personally to be able to say kind of what certain injuries are in certain levels, what we see most commonly, as well as, you know, general data in terms of age groups and what injuries we see there so that we can build that into our workouts as well. Um, so we, that's kind of our bread and butter is really the workouts, uh, but we also offer coaches tools. So we brought analytics to cheerleading so you can track your athletes skills based on their level and build team analytics based on their tumbling and their stunting levels. Um, so you can see, you know, if you're, you have 20 kids on your team, you're level four, it'll pull all the analytics for the number of skills that they have approved in each level and create analytics for you. So you can see basically how well you're going to kind of max out the score sheet in terms of if you're maxing out your levels um, within maxing out your skills within each level. Um, so you can track your athletes there. You can track their workouts. So we've built an accountability to the workouts. Um, you can keep notes on the athletes. Uh, we also put in a lot of education into the app, which is really important to us. It's important for us to um, really share with the athletes how they can be athletes in life, not just when they're in the gym, because with cheerleading, we know we spend most athletes spend around four hours in the gym a week, which for an elite level athlete, that is <laughs> next to nothing. If you compare us to any other elite level sport, um, there's dry land training. If you're looking at a gymnast, they're spending you know, 15, 20, 40 hours a week, depending on how elite they are. Even our world's level athletes aren't spending a fraction of the time that the, um, that the gymnasts are. So we want to give them all of the resources so that they can kind of 
add that on to their four hours that they're spending in the gym. So whether that's their training or whether that's fueling their body properly with nutrition, whether that's managing their mental health and working on mental blocks or mental training. Um, we've worked with a sleep specialist to give advice on, you know, the importance of getting your sleep and what that looks like. Um, so we try to really arm the athletes and the parents and gym owners and coaches, all of the above with all of the resources that they can have to really build well-rounded athletes um, so that they can get the most out of their athletes when they're in the gym with them for just those four hours. We want to make sure we're maximizing that opportunity so that they have all of the resources in order to do that. So so I know that you said that you guys kind of got together because you were a patient, um, but was there like a specific event or like an injury or something that happened that made you say we've got to take this idea and turn it into something. I think it was just, it was, it was always a dream of mine and I'm more of a, a dreamer and an ideas type person. So this is, this had been brewing for almost 30 years trying to put together a strength and conditioning thing, but to implement things, that's not my, that's definitely not my forte. And so when Brienne came along, um, you know, we talked and I think, yeah, I think you bothered me quite a bit to, to come in to work, to work at the clinic. So she was just there to really answer phones and, and to help me run the clinic. But I think it, it's, it quickly became apparent that that's not where she should be. And so we started to sit down and I, I just talked about projects that I really wanted to work on. And then from there, obviously this is, to be completely honest, it's all Brienne. I'm just doing the putting the workouts together, putting the knowledge together. There's there's no way that this would have been done without Brienne. As you, if I told you 30 years, I've been sitting on this. So, um, be, because of Brienne's injury background, I think she was really focused and and passionate about this. And that's this is the only reason we're here talking about this today. Yeah, it's uh, thank you for saying that, Scott. That was really nice of you. But it's definitely you know we 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 have that shared passion of athletes shouldn't go through what I had to go through because I, you know, I was in my, I was 21 and I was sitting at the desk at the clinic being like, my back hurts, my shoulders hurt. <laughs> like I'm breaking down. I couldn't go, you know, I would go see Scott a couple times a week while I was still training. And so I knew from, you know, his experience and talking to him, it, it kind of feels like if you talk to any cheerleader and you say like, how's your back? They'll probably go, oh, I have a terrible back or I have terrible shoulders yeah. and, or I have bad knees. Every time I bend down, they pop and crackle. And I feel like that just became a norm of, oh, cheerleaders just get bad bodies. But that doesn't have to be the case. But I think we just never had the resources. I definitely didn't when I was growing up. It was kind of just like, push your body and hope that it hope for the best. Um, and it will break down over time. So that's really where Scott and I think came together is that when Scott brought up the idea and, you know, talked about and taught me a lot about the injury risk prevention side and how, if we actually train our bodies properly, we can help, um, mitigate the chances of the athletes getting to that point where they're, you know, managing their pain instead of preventing their pain learning that and like learning what goes behind that is really what and learning that from Scott is what drove my passion to continue to build this together is that you know I want the athletes to be able to excel and to be able to get all of the skills that they ever wanted to get and not be held back by the fact that they're 
in pain or that they're, they have injuries. So they're sitting off or, you know, how many times have you talked to an athlete? That's like, I could have had the opportunity to go to worlds, but I tore my ACL or I could have had Mm -hmm. the opportunity to do this, but I, you know, tore my, you know, rotator cuff, whatever it is. There's so many things and there's so many opportunities for fluke accidents in cheerleading. Why aren't we doing what we can to prevent all of the things that don't have to be fluke accidents? Like why can't we educate the community to prepare their athletes' bodies before skill? And that's what really drove my passion because I wanted to make sure that the athletes got to where they knew they could be without feeling the way that I did. Or when I have a daughter, I want to make sure that she has the tools to be able to do that and excel and get to a point where she can. And I knew Scott has the knowledge and passion and and drive to do the research and actually make sure that he's putting together programs that are valuable that have that that backed by science you know in big letters because I feel like a lot of what we see these days is experience in the sport which is invaluable don't get me wrong like that's where a lot of my experience comes came from before Scott before I started to learn all the science behind it it all comes from experience but the people that we're learning from and getting that experience from they're doing it based on what worked for them or what was the fastest way of getting there, but maybe not the safest or maybe not even the most efficient, but they don't know the science behind it to get to be the most efficient way. So by actually, it's been really cool watching Scott bring all this science to a sport that I've loved for so long and be able to teach me so that I can then also help now teach the community of like, what does it really mean to educate and to take the athletes and build them into these strong foundations so that they can go wherever they want to go, whether that's going to be the Olympics one day, which we hope will happen, right? Very soon, hopefully, Um, you know, but we need people like Scott in the industry to do that research, to bring the sports science to it and to help us build that foundation of those athletes so that they can get to where we want them to go. Actually, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I really see the benefit for gym owners, but listening to you talk about building the bodies before the sport, like Pop Warner has been trying to do this for years, right? Because they run the two weeks mandatory conditioning, but it's almost like, you know, if you don't know the right kind of conditioning, you're not preparing their bodies anyway, and you're actually putting them at bigger risk for injury, right? Mm -hmm. So I can see how across the board, you know, youth sports all the way up, this would be really you know, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, Scott can probably tell you a bunch of people that really don't like him because of what he has to say and tell them to <laughs> change the way that they're doing things because it's not the most effective way. <laughs> right, yeah. Scott? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, well, you don't always get this training though, either as coaches. Like that's one thing that I'm always looking for is education, not just for myself, but for my coaches at my gym. And I find that like, say my daughter sounds like she has a very similar experience to you, Brianne, and she's 22 and um, everything in her body pops now. Right. And she was started as a cheerleader at three, but now she's also a coach. So all she knows really is what she learned from everybody else who coached her, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's correct or appropriate for different types of athletes either. Right. And so your, this cheer district is really trying to solve that Mm -hmm. problem. Right. Yeah. Like I I know Scott can talk a little bit more about kind of the practice design and, you know, routine design and that kind of stuff. So what we tried to take the approach of with cheer district is 
we can't always control what's going on in the gym. We can educate and we can try to help share the information of how should you be designing your practices, how you shouldn't be conditioning in practice. That's like a a big no-no. Let's put it outside of practice so the athletes can do it when they're fresh. And, you know, we can we can control, I guess Scott can control what the athletes can do outside of practice when we can't really control what's done inside of practice. So we're trying to educate on what to do inside of practice, but then just getting the trust from the coaches and the gym owners to just say like, rely on us because we know what we're doing and we know that, you know, Scott's done the research behind the sport and behind the workouts. So trust what we're getting your athletes to do outside of practice is going to be the best thing. And then kind of sprinkle in as much education that we can around actual practice design. But, um, you know, maybe just a little bit of sprinkle. If Scott, you want to talk a little bit about like maybe some do's and don'ts of practice design for any coaches that are listening and they want to, you know. I, I think like, just to kind of clarify things, I think sometimes what people, it's like black or white, it's like, they don't, they don't really want to listen to what we have to say because they've come from a certain background. I've been there too. I think everybody forgets that I was there as well, but I've been fortunate enough to have some mentors in place um, to be able to try and give some of this information back to the cheerleading world. And I, I even sat in on a, um, so there's like the, the U.S., the National Gymnastics, the, the top strength and conditioning people in there, there were three of them giving a presentation. And they've totally revamped their conditioning. Now, they, they still, in my opinion, haven't taken it far enough, but there's, it's the same concepts. Reduce fatigue in your training, right? So that you can save it for your practices. And then even in the practices, they're starting to learn that if you want to be explosive and powerful, that fatigue is a, is a massive enemy to, to that. And I think we all get stuck in that it's a two and a half minute routine and there's a ton of fatigue that occurs. But in actuality, that's that's not the case. So to me, it's trying to get yourselves educated and, and find the appropriate people to talk to that I think we're all afraid not to fatigue the athletes. Like we're, we're afraid if we don't work them and, and, and run them into the ground, we're not doing them as a service. And I think that's the biggest message I'm trying to get across is that the muscle fibers required for cheerleading are the ones that fatigue the easiest. And when they fatigue they're not being trained. So you're not even learning the appropriate motor motor pattern uh, from the brain to the muscles because you just keep fatiguing yourself. So for example, and I know it's COVID up in Canada, so I'm not, I'm not going to like denigrate the person that sent me this information, but I'm working with a cheer gym owner now and he sent me the workouts that he wanted his cheer gym to do and he put it at the end of practice. So I haven't had another discussion with him, but my comments would be, okay, you're putting the workout in your practice because there's not much else you can do. Like they can't stunt, they can't pyramid, they can't basket toss. That's fine. The question still becomes, before you get to the workout, have you fatigued the athletes? Mm -hmm. Because if you've fatigued the athletes before you get to the workout, guess what muscle fibers you aren't going to be training? the really fast twitch ones, because they're already gone. They're out. They're tired. They're fatigued. Your central nervous system is, has shut down. So by doing the 20 minutes of training at the end of your practice, all you're doing is delaying the athlete's ability to recover and adapt to get ready for either their next training session or their next practice. So my goal is to kind of get an idea on what his practice looks like and to maybe move his conditioning to the beginning of practice. 
because my recommendation for the conditioning is not to create fatigue. So in reality, if it has to be put in practice, if you know what you're doing, put it at the beginning and then don't create fatigue. Now that's a whole other discussion. How do you not create fatigue? So he put down like 30 push-ups, 30 squats. Like I'm going to tell you right off the bat, once they're done their first circuit, they're already fatigued. Now that's going to interfere with their practice. So you can see, see where the problem lies. So my advice is there isn't any sport that does conditioning during practice. It's built in as a section, right? So gymnasts build it in as they're coming in to do an hour of training. And then they have a break and then they do an hour of gymnastic skills. But in cheerleading, we, they really believe that they have to put conditioning in, in practice. Right. But uh, there's, two, there's two things. How many skills do we have to work on compared to other sports? You, are, you have two hours. How yeah. many do, you're going to tell me you can't fill the full two hours with the skills that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the other thing is the, the effectiveness of the workout. You're really just interfering with the athlete's ability to recover. And so we can kind of talk about how, how you re- reduce injury risk as we go along. That is interesting. Um, yeah, and a little mind blowing, to be honest, because, you know, we've always put conditioning into practice. Uh, and I think I've personally done it um, three different ways. One at the end of practice, mm-hmm. uh, one at the beginning of practice, and then sprinkled throughout the practice, you know, so before your water break, do 20 burpees or so, you know, so as an example. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to think that maybe this wasn't really benefiting anyone this mm-hmm. entire time anyway, you know. Well, they- Take a step back a little bit and let's let's consider it this way. When you think of a cheerleading practice, if I was to replace the flyer and turn her into a kettlebell, mm-hmm. what is the cheerleader doing all practice? She's like lifting weights, right? Is that what she's she's already training. So there yeah. is already a component of conditioning built into your practice. And we've even seen that in the cheerleading world where their bone mass and their muscle mass increases just from doing gymnastics. Okay. Now, the, the problem is you create all kinds of Im, imbalances. I don't want to get too far into that, but that's why you need the strength and conditioning um, outside of practice is that you're actually trying to – the cheerleading world doesn't like to listen to me talk about how, mu- how many injuries there are in the sport. And, and I'm always like, well, it's no different than any other sport, but we need to know the injuries in the sport so that we can actually figure out how to stop the injuries. And the biggest amount of research in the last 10 years is to avoid injuries, you actually need to have better performance. So we're all worried about left-right balance, upper body, lower body balance, but that doesn't seem to be what the case is. There seems to be a certain threshold that if you can get your athletes above this performance level, it decreases their injury risk. And then I'm going to belabor the point, to do that, you need to know how to condition properly. You need to know when to put the conditioning. And there should never be, I'm not going to say never, you should maximize the athlete's potential with proper conditioning before you worry about introducing fatigue type training. It makes sense to hear it out loud, but it definitely feels like it feels wrong. Right. And I, and I totally get that because that's how we all grew up. And Scott will even say when he started coaching, did he put conditioning in practice? Absolutely. Because that's what we all learned and that's what feels right because that's what we've all done. We've done it as athletes. We've done it as coaches. And, you know, now you've done it as a gym owner. So 
when someone tells you to change something that you've always done and you've been doing it for 20 years, you're like, well, that can't be right. Why would I change something that I've been doing for 20 years? But also, what's the potential if I change something that I've been doing for 20 years, right? Like, I think we all have to take that and have a more open mind, which is where we, I think, sometimes struggle with conversations is that people are just, well, it's worked and I'm too scared to change anything because what if I do something different and it's not as successful? But what we're telling you is, well, what if it is? Because that's what science says. And, you know, we can all say if, you know, if this is what the science says, that's what the science says. So isn't it worth a shot if it means that this is something you try. And then at the end of the year, how many less injuries did you have? How much stronger are your athletes? How much, how much more often did you hit a routine and how much more confident were you going into competition? Because when they came to practice, actually performing their routine was that much easier. And it's not because you did a hundred full outs. It's because the athlete that was doing the full out was stronger. So everything felt Mm -hmm. easier. So it wasn't fatiguing them as much. So there's like, it's, it's like a domino effect of if you do these small changes by simply removing conditioning from your practice to reduce the fatigue of your athletes and have them condition when they're fresh and condition properly, like how can that domino effect into your success? But, and is it, you know, worth it for you as a gym owner to, to try that and implement that and see how that works for you? I feel like my mind is blown, but but I, I mean, I get it. I'm definitely following along the conversation. And I think, and in part too, because I coach, um, one of the teams that I coach at my gym is an adult team. Mm-hmm. And so they, when you talk about people who don't have a lot of time in the gym, like these people don't have a lot of time. They, most of them have full-time jobs. Some of them go to school on top of that, you know, and, and everything. So we're trying to find, we spent like all last year trying to find the best way for them to condition outside of practice so that we could just practice during practice. Um, and it was, it was kind of hard, you know, to, to like figure it out and put the pieces together. But by the end of the year in this crazy COVID time, they were hitting their routines, you know, they hit zero at the comp, the one and only comp we got to do. And that is different than what they've all, you know, than what they've done in the past. So, but I guess I didn't sort of connect those dots. (laughs) Well, now you have. (laughs) And I think think everybody always likes you know, well, show me that, show me the proof of this. Like I can only say it so many times in every other sport, that's the proof. However, when I was on Western, I I think I I have to give um, a a lot of kudos to the coach of Western because we never conditioned in practice. We had to condition outside of practice and we were never beat into the ground to run the routine. So the athletes were well-conditioned and we were able to hit the routine I think I think the other thing is like we were always given a routine that matched our yeah. capability level, so we never had to overreach for something. So, and then there's there's other there's two other pretty well known all star gyms in in the in North, in uh, the United States that also applies this philosophy of you know run the routine once or twice during practice, and that, and that's it. You don't burn you don't burn the athletes out, and and you kind of make sure the routine fits the athletes that you have instead of the the vision, because I was a coach for a long time, you always have the vision of what does this pyramid look like? And it looks fantastic in your head. And then when you try it with the team, there is nowhere close to hitting it. But guess what we do? We hold on to it to the bitter end. Mm-hmm. And, until like 
two practices before we're like, okay, I guess this isn't going to work. So two concepts, make sure the athletes are fit and then make sure the routine is being put together to match what you have in reality. If you need somebody to come beside you and say, listen, they're never going to hit this in four weeks. So let's back down now and make sure we get small successes and then we can build up from there. You guys are really connecting the dots. Like uh, my my adult team, for example, that one I was just talking about. Um, so adults, right? You have to go a minimum of level four or level six. Well, I got some adults that just love cheerleading and they're not going to get a, a tuck or a, a handspring even, you know, they just want to cheer. Um, so we took our level four routine with level two tumbling because that's all we have, you know? And like I said, we were pretty successful. We won, but we were we won because we were really clean and we did a great routine and it looked really effortless. And so we scored in all of those categories versus the adult team we were competing against that was kind of even in warmups, just falling all over themselves, you know? And so like, when I think about what you're saying with what I've just seen this year, it, I, I totally get it. You know, it seems like it makes so much And what's sense. the easiest way to reduce injuries is to, you know, have your athletes do skills that their bodies can handle and that they can hit and then work your way from there with building the strength alongside of it so that when you go to do those skills, you're building the body before the skill so that the skill actually becomes easier in the long run and doing that and kind of building it on top of each other so that we can, you know, build the right motor patterns from the beginning and, you know, start there and keep building it up and up and up so that, you know, that you never lose that really clean, what the judges love to see is a hit routine. That's at the end of the right. day, that's what it is. So like, where can you start that foundation, build the body before skill? And then when you're ready to move up, like just keep following that pattern. So how does, how do, like now I'm really excited. Yeah. So, <laughs> how does this work? Do you like um, work with gyms or do you work with athletes or parents or is it like anybody downloads the mm. app? And So we have a couple different ways that you can do it. Um, we have the primary way is that we work with programs um, directly, but any athlete can download the app and get a monthly subscription or an annual subscription and get their age and level specific workouts. And they don't have to be associated to a gym, a cheerleading gym. We have dancers and gymnasts and trampolinists, um, figure skaters that use the program as well. But um, what we normally do is we work with programs to have them integrate our um, our programs into what they offer for their season. So it's in their registration package. And so it becomes a either mandatory or value add, depending on how the gym wants to implement it, but it becomes part of their every day. This is, you know, this is an expectation this season. This is what you're getting with your registration package. Um, we have different options in terms of, um, you know, we actually sell to the gyms at a reduced cost to market price. So if an athlete was to go onto the app store, they would pay $4.99 a month or, um, this is Canadian dollars or $59.99 for the year. Um, but because of COVID and because of the financial struggles that it has, you know, caused on a lot of gyms, um, we're actually doing stimulus pricing this year. So this year we're offering um, in each respective currency, it's $20 per athlete for the whole year. But then the gym has the ability to either pass on those savings to their athletes or they can sell it for market price and actually increase, add a revenue stream to their registration package. So every gym does it different. Every gym implements in a different way. We find it and recommend it's been most successful when a gym implements it and then makes it part of their like schedule. You know, mm -hmm. as an athlete, we recommend you do 
between two and three workouts a week outside of your practice, depending on if you're like a crossover or not, then we might reduce a little so that we're not training too much, but have your programs implemented as something that when you get to practice, the coach pulls up their coach's corner, does a quick scan who has and who hasn't done their workouts because it's that easy as a coach, follow up with your kids there and then you know, move on, do the same thing next practice. So we've tried to build a system so that not only is it easy for the gyms to implement for all of their kids, but they then also don't have to do the whole comment on this Facebook, uh, you know, post if you completed your workout or send me, I have uh, gym owners that we work with now. They're like, I love this because now I don't get like 400 videos of somebody doing like squats really, really fast because they did it in time lapse and I'm having to go through and like check off my Excel spreadsheet of who did their workout and who didn't. And it's, it's an extra job for a coach outside of practice to like track all their athletes. So we've built in all of those systems so that gyms can implement into their programs and then easily hold their athletes accountable. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that's so right. Cause this is going to sound stupid, but with my adult team, we started doing sweaty selfies because we had to get them to condition outside of practice. And we actually had to bring in an accountability person because it was so much yeah. work to like, and like my phone goes, I have a job during the day. My phone's going off all day long with sweaty selfies of people. <laughs> you know, that's not manageable. So the accountability portion, I think, really, it's got to be huge because I'm I had to hire. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll save you from hiring someone because the app will do it for you for just twenty bucks. <laughs> really cool. Um, okay, so there's one more thing that I kind of wanted to touch on that I saw, um, when I was like researching cheer district and, and all the stuff you have to offer. And it's the blog, which I, I like loved. Um, I think I read every article on it and it talked a lot about rest, nutrition, you know, those kind of things. So does that, is that like comes in the app too, or does it? Yeah. So we yeah. post all of our blog posts in like the timeline section of the app so that the athletes can, um, can learn and interact with education while seeing, you know, some of the fun stuff um, for athletes that are under 13 and aren't um, allowed to use the social part because of child privacy policies. Um, mm -hmm. They can still see our posts so that they can still gather the um, education without having to go to the blog and find it for themselves. But we have a lot of athletes that still do. They sit down and read the blog every time we, we post one. A lot of our blogs are directed towards coaches and gym owners because that's our, um, our way of educating them and sharing education and making it easily accessible for them. Um, I, we try to do it um, every couple of weeks. It tends to come out, you know, twice a month or so. Um, we have every other month, we have a nutrition post. Um, every other month or so, we have uh, Jeff Benson, who does a mental training video for us as opposed to a blog post. Um, but we really just try to answer the questions that we get and or we do a study like when the pandemic was first coming about we had a gym owner come to us and say like i really want to do a study about masks and how you know that affects the athletes oxygen levels while they're practicing and doing a cheer specific study so we so scott said okay i can do that and we can do a post on it so we really rely on finding the information from our community of like, what do they want to know? What do they want to learn? And how can we help them, you know, improve their all aspects of their athletes or their practices or whatever. Next week, we actually have what I thought was a really cool one, which I learned from Scott a couple weeks ago was about uh, water and how 
drinking water doesn't actually cool down your body's temperature. And so we always rely on using water in summer months when it's hot to help our athletes cool down, but it's actually not cooling down the body's temperature, which like blew my mind. I was like, wait, what? I feel like we all do that. I'm hot. I need water. But that's not actually yeah. physically cooling down your your body temperature. I don't know. Maybe Scott, if you want to give like a little sneak peek to next week's blog of what that's <laughs> what that's all about. But uh, yeah, those are the kind of cool topics that we we talk about. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like I said, we're just trying to to educate because we're all we all have our busy lives, and this is something that I'm really passionate about. So when it came to we're getting into the warmer months, I think in the blog we just try to explain what what actually has to happen for the body to cool itself down. And it really just has to do with your skin. Your skin needs to be cool. And then your blood flows along the surface, like near the surface of the skin to pick up the coolness and takes it to your core. So the, the drinking of a fluid has nothing to do with your outside skin temperature. Now, because I'm, because I'm in the research field, there are always going to people like, I, I think it's just the human race in general. Everybody wants to, attack. And I, and so I tried to, in this article, I tried to preempt what people were going to say by just putting in a little blurb that says, yes, if you were to drink ice water and, and slush, slush water, it decreases your body temperature. And you can pull out articles that show that that is actually true. However, that is research oriented. So it means that every time you have a drink of ice water, your body temperature, your core body temperature will lower. We call that statistically significant in research. And I apologize for getting geeky, but it just means that every time you do that, it's likelihood that it's going to reduce and it's likely due to the water that you ingested. But if you actually take a look at the temperature drop that occurs, it's if you just have plain water, your temperature after two hours of exercise or whatever it's going to be is 39.4. After you have an ice slushy, it's 39.2. So physiologically that that's nothing that doesn't do anything so understanding how to read research is really important and that's kind of what we put in the article is yes you are going to find people that have misinterpreted the research and are going to say yes if you drink cold water it's going to lower your body temperature but if you actually understand what it takes to lower your body temperature you would probably understand that drinking cold water isn't going to help so that's what we try to do with the blog is that you know, Scott puts all the science and brains behind it. And then I try to basically like he writes out a scientific article. And then I basically try to put it into layman's terms so that we can work together so that everybody when they read the blog, it's not an overwhelming like I have no idea how to implement this because I barely understand it. So we work together. That's how I think Scott and I work really well together is that we can I can I've learned from working so closely with him for so long, I can kind of start to I've been able to, you know, be able to pick apart where that layman's term, like general population can actually understand what he's saying and put it into a blog post so that we can actually help educate so that we don't have the issues like Scott was saying, where you're misinterpreting the data, because that's where so many issues are coming about. It's like, well, I read this article that said this. Well, how you read it might've been completely different than how somebody else read it and it might be different how somebody else read it. So we try to make the blog very it might come across as matter of fact, 
But that's because we find that that's the best way to, you know, just kind of put the information out there so you can digest it and then apply it as effectively as possible. Even though Scott will always say that whatever we put out there is generally the most efficient way to do something. It's not the only way. It might come across as that sometimes just because we're trying to get the point across. But what we share is always the most efficient way. So like Scott said, yes, you could drink ice water and it could lower your temperature by, you know, the tiniest amount, but the most efficient way of lowering your body temperature is actually using a cold compress or standing in front of a fan or getting in the shade or spraying water on your body, you know, those kinds of things. Well, I hope people read that because, you know, heat exhaustion is dangerous, Mm -hmm. right? So dangerous. And a lot of us gym owners, um, we're not working in climate controlled facilities either, right? And so you can really hurt somebody or do some damage to them if you're not aware of the signs or how to cool their body down quickly. So I've I've actually taken a lot of training on this because our son played football, you know, and that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. They'd have all the pads on and they'd be, you know, on the field for eight hours a day training, you know, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So you want to pay attention to it. So yeah, I hope everybody, I hope people read it. I found the blog really informational and very helpful. Thank you. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, that is basically everything I had to ask you guys. Thank you. So I really did find this like really, um, did you guys have anything else that you wanted me to touch on or? I think, I think I just want to, I try to always reiterate every time we have a talk. I was a cheerleading coach for a long time. And I think, I don't know how many times it came out of my mouth that I always coach the team. It's the team. Everybody needs to focus on the team. I've kind of gone 180 and it's actually about coaching the individual. Because if you don't coach the individual, you don't have a team. Plus, you're looking at when they're done cheerleading, do you still want them to be great people? Mm -hmm. Do you want them to be healthy people? So if you actually teach each individual, you'll have a better team. So I've kind of I've kind of come 180. And that's another message that I've been I've been trying to get across to everybody is let's stop with with the team, team, team and figure out what's going on with each individual that will actually create your team. Amen. Excellent. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you found it as informative and entertaining as I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Cheerleading Junkie, or find us on Facebook as The Cheerleading Junkie, or on Twitter at The Cheerleading One. That's T-H-E-C-H-E-E-R-L-E-A-D-I-N number one. This is Jill Markley, the cheerleading junkie saying, see you next week.